I'm Dr. Tagrid, your friendly child psychiatrist, and this is a space for young people, families, and professionals who want to understand neurodiversity and mental illness in the simplest of terms. Join me for 30 minutes of expert advice, simple science, and practical knowledge. Please be aware that some episodes may feature triggering topics about trauma, suicide, and self-harm. If you feel triggered by some of this content, please seek help and support immediately. The show notes contain a list of helpful support organizations in the UK. Hi, let's bust some more jargon. If you're thinking about going through therapy, psychological therapy or talking therapy or whatever you want to call it, I'm going to try and walk you through the different types that are available at the minute. I'm going to try also today to focus on the types that are best used for children and young people. Psychotherapy is often called talking therapy, although talking is not always the main mode of how this kind of therapy works. But psycho, short for psychology or the science of how the mind works, and therapy is therapy. So the idea is using all of the science and theory that uh, try to explain how a person's mind or a person's internal experience works and try and use it to help them through difficulties, whatever the difficulties may be. So psychotherapy can be used for a bunch of things. And as we work through all of the different episodes, I'm going to try and focus in each episode on what kind of psychotherapy works for what. So don't worry about what each psychotherapy type works for, but generally there is nothing on this earth that psychotherapy has not been designed for or doesn't work for or hasn't been tested for. So it's it's kind of a blanket for everything. So every illness in psychiatry has a form of therapy that might be recommended and a form of medication that might be recommended. That's the kind of the golden rule. And the way that psychotherapy works generally is you try to find what the key is. What is the difficulty or the subjective experience that you're going through? Step two is to try and figure out how and why you ended up there. Step three is to try and figure out what changes can be made to make you feel better. So it's kind of a three-step situation. And the first step of understanding how you got there or and, and understanding what your internal experience is, this might be called a formulation. And if you've listened to our first episode talking about assessment, you might have heard this term before, formulation. It's fancy talk for your story, your truth. So the idea in psychology is that each person has their own truth, right? And a formulation kind of puts your truth into words, into a short paragraph that can describe your narrative, what has gone on in your life to get you to the point that you're in, how does this point in your life feel, and what might be helpful in the future to make you feel a little bit better. 
And a psychological formulation is different from a psychiatric formulation. So just hold this in thought because your psychiatrist will give you a formulation that looks quite different from your psychologist, right? Or your therapist, because your therapist will be very interested in all of the details of all of your internal experiences and very interested in trying to make sense of your experience using the terminology or using the lens of a certain psychological or therapeutic school. So if you're going to something called a CBT therapist, who I'll explain in a minute what that means, but they're more focused on thoughts, feelings, behaviors. They're going to give you a very different formulation of your difficulties than a person who's trained in psychodynamic, which again, I'm going to explain in a minute. And those are more focused on your um, internal experiences, what went on in your childhood, what the roots of things are. So that would be completely different from your psychiatrist who's going to give you a very down-to-earth formulation of what are, what are the possible genetic factors here? What are the possible environmental factors here? What are the possible triggers or life events that might have led us to this point? What is the possible diagnosis or diagnoses that we're thinking about? And what is the management plan? So the word formulation you're going to hear is the most commonly used jargon out there. And it's important for you to have the courage to ask what do you mean when you say my formulation? What are you thinking about when you're doing this formulation? Because what we use the word formulation to describe is our understanding of you, really. And it's important for your therapist, and it's very important for me in my practice, for example, to share this formulation with my patients and families and try and check in. Does this sound true to you? Does this formulation describe you? From your perspective, have I got it right? So that's why it's very important to ask the question, what kind of formulation are you making up for me? What does this mean? What are you um, using to understand my story and my experience? Right. So that's formulation. Now, let's talk about the types of therapies that are out there. Now, Therapies come in all shapes and sizes, and you could probably find a kind of therapy that suits you, whatever your needs are. They can come in individual form where you are sat one-to-one with your therapist, and they can come in group form where you're put together with a group of people. They might have your same diagnosis. They might just have the same needs without the same diagnosis. They might be the same people that you start and end therapy with. And sometimes they're just an open group that people can drop in and out. And it's not really like a support group. A therapy group or group therapy is rather a structured format that follows a certain type of therapy and is led by a therapist who's trained in this format of therapy, right? So, Sometimes there's a mix, actually, of both. A common example of this is something called DBT. Forget that name. Just remember DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy. Ignore the jargon because I'm going to explain it in a minute. But this kind of therapy uses both. So you've got access to a group 
And also you've got access to individual sessions with a therapist. And DBT is used for borderline personality disorder as a common example. And I'm going to talk about this in that episode, borderline personality disorder. So again, ignore it for now. The third kind is family therapy. And that's where your group is your family or people who are close to you or your carers or whoever you see as an integral part of your life. Any relationship in your life that might be affecting how you feel or contributing to how you feel is important. And family therapy or family interventions are very important in the practice of child and adolescent psychiatry. And often that's the trickiest bit to get people to agree on because people worry a lot about being open with their families and they worry a lot about how much of what they've told me would be shared with the family. And I always say this to my patients, there is nothing that you would tell me that I would share with your family without your agreement, unless it's to do with your safety or the safety of others. And family therapy is nothing different from that. There is nothing that you would share as a therapist in family therapy without agreeing beforehand with the patient. And the same goes when we have individual sessions with the family. So you would expect to continue to have a form of individual communication with your therapist. So sometimes you'll have individual sessions with your therapist in parallel with the family therapy sessions. Sometimes your family members also will be having individual sessions with your therapist in parallel with the family therapy sessions. So there is a way where people can have private conversations with the therapist away from the group. And there is no need for the family therapy sessions to be at all um, difficult or awkward. If anything, it's a space for awkward topics to kind of be, to kind of be discussed in a way that's really comfortable for everyone in the room. So there are no surprises in family therapy and there's no privacy being broken. And the other thing that people worry about in family therapy is what is the point? What is the point of us all talking about things? And people watch TV shows and and watch reality TV where families get together and talk about issues and then things become really difficult and and fighty and loud and family therapy is really not like that it's a it's really a safe space where people can talk about their relationships analyze them and try and figure out how can they be um improved in a very practical sense and i think the trickiest bit is getting people to buy in to come in and take a shot because the worst thing you can do is say no to something without trying it. You can always drop out, try and see how things work. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. But the rest assured always, if you trust your therapist or your psychiatrist, they're probably making a choice or a recommendation based on what they think you can do. So I would never, for example, prescribe family therapy for someone or a family that I don't think would benefit or would find it easy. I think 
most of the time what we go by is trying not to set you up to fail is giving you something that you can work with. And we call that low hanging fruit or easy win. You always start with something that you think your patient or your client can do easily because if you set them up for the most difficult task straight away, it's just hard. It's just frustrating because why? I mean, if you're already struggling, why? Why go through something that's really difficult? So that's family therapy in short. And I'll tell you what I think about all of these different formats of therapy. At the end of the day, you have a conversation with your psychiatrist or your therapist and think about what suits you and what works for you. Because the way that we recommend therapies can go by the guidance. So we have a set of guidance that tells us what is evidence-based for what and what the research tells us might work. But we also have a human person sat in front of us and we have a human person with certain circumstances and family life and and um, experiences. So we make choices based on the person and tailored to the person. And we just don't purely go by the book. Let's say you've just had your diagnosis, you've had a good chat with your psychiatrist and you made a plan and you're happy with whatever choice of therapy. How does it really work? I would expect to go the first session, meet the therapist, hi therapist, get to know them. You know, you might like them, you might not. And you always have to remember that you have a choice in the therapist that you work with. Sometimes I work with people who um, have spent many sessions not benefiting because they just don't want to work with them, you know, a certain gender of therapist or, um, or they don't really understand the therapist's accent or they are turned off by the room color and just need to be open about these things and just tell your therapist because they're there to help you. So you would expect the first session to be a hello introductions, talk about probably the goals, why you're there, what do you want to come out of this therapy with? And by the second session, you should be ready to do something called a contract. A contract is an agreement between you and your therapist on what the rules of therapy are, what the timings are, where you're going to meet, how many sessions you expect to do before you both review how it's going. And if you're in the private sector, you'd expect to see on that contract how much you're paying per session or how you're paying for these sessions. So if you're going through insurance or you're paying in a staggered plan or you're paying per session, however that works, you'd expect to see that. You'd expect also to see how you're being charged for absences or um, failing to attend or um, leaves. You'd also expect to see how much warning you should give your therapist in advance for holidays and how it works if you're late to a therapy session or your therapist is late. So these are the kind of details that will show up on your contract and you read it through with your therapist and you agree. And then you'd expect to start working on your therapy from that point onwards. And it takes about, sometimes it's six to eight sessions or 12 sessions. Sometimes it's more, depends on who you're working with and what you're agreeing. So sometimes it's whatever number of session that you set, 
at that point, so let's say at 12 sessions, that's the most common number that we use in child and adolescent psychiatry, for example, you take 12 sessions and then review and see how things are going in terms of the goals that you wanted. And there are two types of things that we decide on at the beginning of therapy, goals and problems. So I'll give you an example of why these are different. Um, a problem, for example, can be depression. I am depressed. That's my problem. And my goal at the end of therapy is to, for example, attend school every day. So the problem here is that my mood is low and I'm struggling to go to school. But my goal is that I want to attend school every day. And this is a very stark example. Sometimes the goals are much smaller. Sometimes the goal is to, you know, I want to get on the bus by the end of this therapy, or I want to be able to sit in my exam room with all of my colleagues, for example. So it can be anything that you decide on. And the problem can be something that's very simple. Sometimes we break down the problems really to the very bone of it. So sometimes mood will be a problem, sleep will be a problem, crying will be a problem. It can be anything that you agree on. And the the other thing that you probably want to understand is the schools of therapy. So you're going to hear so many abbreviations out there. DBT, IPT, CBT, so many abbreviations, so many fancy names are out there. At the end of the day, you've got two schools of therapy, right? Two basic shops of therapy. One deals with managing the symptoms. It's things like, you know, I'm forgetful. My, I'm not going to school. I'm not attending work. I'm breaking up all my friendships. These are symptoms. I'm not sleeping well. This is a symptom. I'm not eating well. That's a symptom, right? And the other shop deals with the core of the issues. Where is this coming from? Where is this behavior coming from, right? So these two main shops break down into multiple types of therapy, right? I'm going to start with the simpler one, the one that deals with the core of the problem, because it's probably easier to understand and it's probably the harder one to do and go through, right? So you've seen all of the movies. And you've seen the stereotype of the therapist sat there and the person lying down on a whatever, on a sofa and trying to think about their childhood and their mother and whatever happened to them in terms of trauma. That's partially true, if I'm honest. That's partially true. We don't generally tend to ask people to lie down anymore. And uh, that's reserved for a certain type of therapy. But generally, you're going to be sat face to face with someone. And yes, you're going to be talking probably about your childhood and difficult things in your life. And the idea behind this is try and understand where you come from, from the very beginning. So think about depression as a branch of a weed. And you need to get to the core of that weed, to the roots of that weed to be able to take it out. And the like trying to fell a tree, it is hard and really labor intense. 
and takes a long, long time. So the average time for this type of therapy is about a year, easy. And in this type of therapy, you'd be expected to be really open about difficult things. And you probably will want to be in a good space before you start it. So I'd never recommend this type of therapy to people who are currently in a difficult space or struggling or in crisis. This is generally reserved when you're in a better place, sort of in terms of your mood or in terms of your anxiety or whatever situation you're dealing with. This type of therapy can be referred to as psychodynamic psychotherapy. What a mouthful. But I'll break it down. So psycho is psychology, again, the science of the of, of how the mind works or how your internal experience works. Dynamic comes from the dynamicity or mobility of how relationships work. And the idea here is that your relationships with people throughout your life are echoed in your behavior. And your relationship with your therapist will also echo in your behavior. And the idea is to use the relationships. Remember at the beginning of our conversation, I said, talking is not always the main thing that we use in therapy to help. So this is a good example of that. We often use the way that we relate to people, to patients, how we build trust over time with people to help them. So sometimes the substance of what we say or what we do in therapy sessions is not what helps. It's just the relationship of showing up and trying to understand what you need and what we need to give you in order to help you in those sessions. So psychodynamic psychotherapy is what it's called. Sometimes people call it psycho or, you know, a very close one is called psychoanalytic psychotherapy. And in psychoanalysis, it's more distance. So remember that stereotype of sitting down behind a patient, getting them to think freely and talk about themselves. That's called psychoanalysis. And the relationship between therapist and patient is not used really. So it's kind of a an observer role that the therapist takes. Now, for children, the version of this is called uh, play therapy. And we use this with really little children or children who are not able to express themselves verbally. And again, we use play as a mode of expression. And we use play as a mode of building a relationship and building that trust and using the relationship between therapist and child in order to help them. And by the end of the therapy, hopefully you'd have an understanding of how the child came to struggle in that way. And through therapy, you'd be able to... um give that child the things that they need in order to heal and in order to understand themselves better. Another version of this is called art therapy, where art is used as the mode of expression. Sometimes this is used for children, but also sometimes this is used for adults and young uh, people. And you don't have to be good at art in any way. You just have to be open to it. And 
again, it's a form of therapy that uses that relationship and uses art as a mode of expression in order to form the relationship and form an understanding of what this person is going through, what you're going through and what you're struggling with and how you can heal. Now, we've talked about the kind of therapies that tackle the roots of the problem. Now we're going to talk about the types of therapies that tackle the branches or manages the symptoms. And these come in all types, shapes, and forms. And the most famous one is CBT because CBT comes in all sorts of self-help books. It comes in computer-based programs. It comes in notebooks, all sorts. And CBT is short for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. It's a mouthful. I'm telling you therapies are named in, in, in very, um, <laughs> very big, heavy language, but really it's very simple. So cognitive is fancy for thoughts and behavioral is, you know, fancy for behavior, how you behave and therapy is therapy, right? So the idea in cognitive behavioral therapy is that they put everything in a triangle. Okay. So. One is your thoughts, one end is your feelings, and the other is your behavior. And the idea is that everything starts, every difficult experience starts with a thought, a thought that's slightly negative. And um, for example, let's say in anxiety, um, I am going to fail, right? And the feeling is I'm scared and the behavior is I'm not going to do the thing that I was going to do or I'm going to be very shaky when I do it. So the idea in CBT is to tackle that triangle and try to help it. And it's very structured. It's very clear what each session does and how it works. And it is very usable. So it gives you tools and knowledge and uh, skills that you can then use and you can also top it up. So let's say you go through it the first time, you take 12 sessions and it works for you, brilliant, but then in a couple of years you struggle again and you want to go up for a top up, that's fine and you can go to top ups that are exactly the same 12 sessions or you can go through courses like master classes that just remind you of the skill. And the reason why I'm saying you can top up is that therapies that manage symptoms tend to need topping up. So like I said, it's the same example, you know, when I'm telling you, you can fell the tree or keep pruning it and cutting the branches. It's the same rule. So it needs maintenance. If you don't address the core, you're going to need maintenance. The good thing about things like CBT is that if you're struggling and in crisis, it's helpful. Whereas you can't address core difficulties, you can't address all of the difficult memories, difficult childhood experiences when you're in crisis. So what we often do is that if you come to me, for example, and you're in crisis, I'll probably be suggesting something like CBT at the beginning and whatever else to help you stabilize. And then if you're if it's suitable for you or if it's a good idea in your situation, then we'll be recommending um, things like a, like psychodynamic psychotherapy or art therapy or play therapy. So both can be very helpful. So CBT is the famous one. 
DBT that I talked about is also um, a famous one because it works for borderline personality disorder and it's lovely, but it's very similar to CBT, really very similar in terms of the structure, but also it includes spiritual work. So stuff like um, mentalization-based therapy where you work a lot using um, things like yoga and being mindful and being spiritual, getting in touch with your spiritual experiences. And it also focuses on emotional regulation, getting your emotions in check, trying to minimize the ups and downs and ups and downs that we're going to talk about when we talk about borderline personality disorder. Now, another famous one that you're going to hear about is called IPT, interpersonal therapy. Again, that's fancy talk for uh, managing relationships and it focuses on how you relate to people. And IPT is a happy mix between addressing core difficulties, so a little bit of touching on early experiences and the nice, structured, easy kind of workbook-based work that you might use in CBT. So it's a happy middle. You'll probably hear about behavioral therapies, and I often hear this being used to describe interventions that might help people with um, ASD or autism or learning difficulties to kind of address certain behavioral difficulties. And the, the idea is one, it's really managing in a structured way all of the symptoms in a certain set structure, certain set plan of how you address difficulties. And it's all based in a basic theory of behavioral theory where you try to reward positive behavior and try to minimize negative behavior by removing the reward. So it's, it's really, when you think about it, it's just important for you to understand that there are two types of schools. Either you address the current crisis or you address where it came from to try and make something very complicated, try and make it very simple, right? And the other thing that I want to tell you is that do not go through anything that you don't understand. If you don't understand what you're being offered, just ask the person to explain it. How does it start? Where does it go? And how does it end? Ask them to explain the theory behind it because each of these different names are named differently just because they apply a different theory. And theories are just theories. They're used to understand the human experience and the human experience is so diverse. So get your therapist to explain to you what lens are they using to see you. And I'll tell you what, most of the time, um, your therapist will be using multiple lens. So I know that in my work, for example, and most of the therapists I work with use multiple ways of working. So we call it eclectic, which is also a fancy word for mix, you know, a happy mix for the person to try and tailor it specially for them, right? So 
we've talked about a lot of stuff today. We've talked about all of the types of therapies that are out there. And we've talked about all of the star therapies that are famous, all of the different abbreviations. We talked about psychodynamic psychotherapy, art therapy, play therapy. We talked about CBT, DBT, IPT. We talked about family therapy a little bit. We also talked about individual therapies. And we talked about the most important thing that I want you to take away today is do not be afraid to ask. Do not be afraid to get your therapist to explain to you what you're about to do because therapy is about you. You are the boss and you get to ask the questions and you get to contract the help that you need. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to check the show notes for helpful resources and support. If you enjoyed listening, subscribe to our channel and get notified about the latest episodes. This is Dr. Tagrid, wishing you well. Thank you.